to another episode of the Just a Couple Dudes Jacked podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Eric Flattiger. And today's episode, um, we actually had an interview. Anthony Cole, our other host, interviewed a reoccurring guest. His name is Mark Little. Uh, Frank and I weren't able to be a part of this interview. However, we did not want to lose our chance and opportunity to speak with Mark. So Anthony went ahead and did it by himself. Hey, Mark's been on the podcast before. If you want to hear more about his story, you can. I think it's episode 32. But a little bit about Mark Little. He is the author of a book called The Prodigal Republican. He's an attorney. He's a pastor. He has started three different charter schools out in L.A. And he was shot when he was 21 years old going to USC Law. And he actually uh, had his leg amputated. The guy's been through a lot. He's built a lot. He's a great husband, a great father, great dad. um, Someone we'd really like to promote on the show. He's a voice, pretty prominent voice now in the black community. And so we thought it would be good to bring him back on the show. He actually just spoke with the vice president, Mike Pence, I think two weeks ago in Washington, D.C. Mark's out in D.C. doing a lot of work out there right now. And he's actually met and prayed, uh, actually laid hands on and prayed over Donald Trump. Donald Trump might be a polarizing figure to some or pretty much anyone, whether you like him, don't like him. But hey, Mark met him. Mark spoke spoken to him. He spoke to the vice president. So hey, we want to get him on Jack. We want to talk to him. Uh, any man who's in the ear of someone in the administration, if we can talk to him, I think that's really a cool experience to have. And you know, one thing about this podcast is we want to talk to people from all walks of life and who have different perspectives and whether you agree or disagree i think it's good to listen and then try to reflect and that's all we're trying to do here we're trying to have a conversation not everything that people who come on the show say is a hundred percent representative of how i feel frank feels anthony feels uh it's not a hundred percent representative of the jacked podcast but hey we want to talk to people that's the point let's have some tough conversations we also got uh jackpod.com going j-a-k-d-p-o-d jackpod.com you can go check out all our stuff uh, all things related to jacked at the website and we're gonna have t-shirts and mugs coming soon too uh pretty soon i'll have some shirts uh for people just to see and then from there we'll start ordering more in quantity and start selling them as soon as we can same thing with the mugs uh really excited for that so thanks guys for checking out this episode and again it's just going to be anthony interviewing mark little um give us your feedback and leave a review thank you everybody all right everybody well welcome to just a couple dudes today we have mark little with us uh we won't have uh eric and frank couldn't make it today so it's gonna be uh, us two hanging out and catching up talking about everything that's going on today so it should be an exciting episode Mark is pretty dynamic, pretty dynamic dude. So he's a he's a husband, he's a father, uh, he's an attorney. He started schools, and uh, now he's in. D- he's actually he's been shot before. He's a gunshot victim, and uh, and now he's in D.C. Uh, doing work uh, there. So, uh, Mark, how's it going, man? Man, it's going it's going well. I, I was just uh, home in Los Angeles seeing my wife and son, and I'm back in in the swamp. Uh, waiting for it to fully reopen. There's so much going on on Capitol Hill. Uh, and I tell you, even more going on at the Supreme Court where they're completely ruining our culture. So uh, D.C. is a place that really requires uh, not only our presence, but it requires a lot of prayer, man, a lot of prayer. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, actually, let's talk about that because uh, Father's Day was just last weekend. I didn't realize until your post. So your wife is completely, is it raw vegan or raw vegetable? What is she? She's a raw vegan. She uh, eats uh, no cooked foods, no meats, no fish, no dairy. 
and uh, uh, that and, and she's uh, our son is who is six is the same. So I'm the carnivore. I'm the meat eater. And so <laughs> I'm she, the meat eater. She ordered. She ordered up uh, an amazing spread for me for Father's Day with ribs and chicken and mac and cheese. It was just. It was just unbelievable. Well, mac and cheese, that's my favorite vegetable right there. So <laughs> No, but yeah, that that food looked delicious, man. I was happy for you. Power to you. I had to I had to put that she was a vegan because otherwise people would say, Who cares? It was a big deal. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. I was taken back. I was like, What? Yeah, that that that's awesome though. Power to I've always wanted to try it just for like a month, maybe go vegetarian or vegan. But dude, it it would take a lot of discipline, that's for sure. It, I love it does. And and yeah. but to to her credit, she has a lot of energy uh, when she eats right. Uh, it really does change uh, change a lot in your body, and it's certainly a plant based diet is I think one of the most healthy that you can have. But uh, I like I like my fried chicken. I like my uh, barbecue ribs. I like my peach cobbler. Mm-hmm. Oh mm-hmm. boy! I'm trying to. <laughs> oh. oh yeah. Uh, we'll see. We'll that, see. We'll see. I told that's, her I w- I would consider changing my diet when the red light goes on in my body. The red light's not on yet. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> oh man. Well, I guess we could go back to what you started with. Uh, you were talking about the Supreme Court, all that's going on there, and how it's kind of destroying our society. Let's talk about that. Well, what what exactly are you referring to? Uh, so the Supreme Court in in Bostick, B O S T I C K. Uh, for your listeners, they should pull it up uh, on Scotus Blog. S C No U S C. O-T-S, SCOTUS, yeah, SCOTUS, S-C-O-T-U-S. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So, so Bostick is a case that came before the court. There's several petitioners who, uh, two are uh, homosexual orientation and, and the other a transgender, and they were uh, fired from their jobs because of their sexual orientation. In other words, they were fired because of who they, uh, who they were attracted to. Now mm-hmm. we, we can we can argue about whether you agree that someone should be fired for that or not. That's not the point. Um, the point is that the Supreme Court took Title VII, which was passed as a part of the Civil Rights Act in 1964, that said no individual shall be discriminated against because of uh, race, color, religion, gender, or, yeah, or sex. Sex. It doesn't uh-huh. say gender. It says uh, sex. Okay. And uh, the Supreme Court basically has taken the word and the term sex as it is known to be, which is how you interpret legislation and words, uh, what was the meaning at the time it was written, is the standard. And they've now taken that word sex to include sexual orientation. Okay. Now, 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 here's what's bad about it. H.R. 5 was passed in the House it wouldn't be passed in the Senate, but it's called the Equality Act that mm-hmm. sought to do exactly what the Supreme Court did. Here is the point. The Supreme Court and every judge within the judiciary is supposed to interpret law, not make law. In uh, yes. Justice Alito's dissent that Clarence Thomas joined, they both said the, the one problem with this uh, ruling is that it is legislation. 
and it absolutely is true. So, you know, the Constitution is not a living, breathing document. Uh, laws, you know, don't move and change um, with the times, particularly the Constitution. And so if Congress makes a law, then fine. Uh, you know, that's what we send them to Congress to do. The Supreme Court's role is not uh, to uh, bend to public will uh, to change culture. Now, you might remember in 1962, in Vitale v. Engel, the Supreme Court ruled to take prayer out of schools, 1962. 1973, Roe v. Wade, an individual was sanctioned to murder a child in the womb. An individual was sanctioned to murder. 2015, the Supreme Court punted its case back down to the lower court, which made same-sex marriage the law of the land. And now, in 2020, five years later, almost to the month, uh, the, uh, uh, the Obergefell case was in July of 2015. Now, in June of 2000, in 2020, the court has now made LGBT a protected class under Title VII. Now, it has significant impact. As an example, men running in track and field against women. Oh, as, yeah. one, as one example, the impact that this is going to have on the culture is staggering. It's going to be staggering. And nobody's talking about it because we've got so much, uh, so many fires burning. But uh, so Shall anyway, there you go. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, about that. That's definitely, that's what I kind of don't understand, especially when you're talking about, like you said, men running against women in track and stuff like that. And then even in boxing and in UFC fights, you're going to have men you know, or, you know, they were a man and uh-huh. now they've decided uh-huh. to be a woman fighting against women, you know. And, and it's just like, to me, the people that are actually getting screwed over in this whole situation are women. They're the you people know? that and, we and, should be protecting. That's great. Yeah. And uh, to me, I, I don't know why a lot of people aren't seeing it that way. I will say I do kind of have a question. So, uh, you know, you obviously are you kind of affiliated with, you know, you're affiliated with politics and then you also are a pastor and uh, mm-hmm. I'm a Christian as well. And, you know, and it's also very clear that there should be a separation of church and state. I know this is a hard question to balance. Mm-hmm. And with these cases coming up, you know, how can you as someone every day, how can we talk about something like this and, and mm-hmm. say, Yes, this is separation of. Uh, do you kind of understand what I'm asking? Yeah, I, I'm. I'm just waiting for you to to take a breath and yeah. answer. Uh, I talk okay, about go it ahead. All the, time. Um, the reality is, is that uh, the, it's a fallacy. There is no separation of church and state. So let me start there. Um, the phrase "separation of church and state" comes from a letter Thomas Jefferson wrote to the church in Danbury, Connecticut, and what he was telling the church was that they should not be afraid of the government intruding on the church. The, the, the phrase was not intended to be as it is used now, which is just the opposite, that the church yeah, the should have opposite. nothing to do with the government. And that's not what that meant. Okay, so there is separation of church and state is not a constitutional construct. It's not in the Constitution. It is a letter written by Thomas Jefferson to the church in Danbury. So that's number one. Number two, 
Um, Democrats have successfully kept the black church in particular on its uh, butts because of the Johnson Amendment. Uh, that is what most pastors use as an excuse to, to not be engaged in politics. Uh, and the Johnson Amendment uh, is unconstitutional. Uh, it, is, uh, it, it applies to uh, uh, churches pr- pr- primarily, uh, but it certainly applies to nonprofits generally. But the greatest impact is on the church because of it's a, it's a gathering place. The pastor doesn't lose his First Amendment right to speak, but the church cannot speak. The church can do several things. The church can bring in candidates. Uh, the church cannot endorse a candidate. Uh, that's the biggest prohibition. There are a lot of black pastors who just don't care, and, and, and it's not enforced. And in fact, President Trump has said that he will not be enforcing uh, uh, the, the penalties uh, from the Johnson Amendment while he's in office. So, so, so let me back up. And now let, let's talk a little bit about, since we know that there is no uh, such thing as separation of church and state, it's not in the Constitution, it's a letter that was actually written to protect the church, we know that the Johnson Amendment doesn't say that the church can't be involved in politics. It says that the church cannot endorse a candidate. The church can absolutely be involved. It's called the substantial part test. You can't form a church, and then most of what you do is advocacy in the political space. But the church is absolutely allowed, under the, under, under the substantial part test under the IRS code, to be engaged in politics. Now, Having said all that, I also want your listeners to, to look back in time uh, with, uh, and, and look at all of the religious leaders who have bent the arc of justice or bent the arc of government uh, throughout history. We can go uh, far back as Moses, as an example, sent to influence the government, the king, chosen by God. Uh, we can then look at Joseph, uh, who uh, uh, ended up running all of Egypt after several, uh, 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 you know, being in jail, being sold into slavery by his brothers, etc. Man uh-huh. of God, man of God, man of God, ran Egypt. <clears throat> we can look at the controversial figure of Caiaphas, the high priest Caiaphas. But for Caiaphas, the high priest, Jesus would not have been turned over to Pontius Pilate and Jesus would not have been crucified. The influence of men of faith. Uh, and Caiaphas, of course, uh, we, 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 we hate Caiaphas, but if we did not have Caiaphas, we would not have a slain, crucified Savior. You look mm-hmm. at uh, Esther, uh, who changed the heart of the king. You look at, obviously, Jesus Christ is the obvious answer. Martin Luther King, Frederick Douglass, but for Frederick Douglass, a huge man of faith, uh, we would not have had the 15th Amendment. He was a very, very instrumental in voting rights for blacks under the Civil Rights Acts of the 1800s. So here's my point. Uh, God instituted government. We know that in the word, God instituted government. And in Exodus, We know that Moses, with his father-in-law Jethro, uh, said that we are to elect godly leaders over us, right? Mm -hmm. Those principles are still alive today. If I take you then into Matthew chapter 5, it talks about our identity as believers. 
Matthew chapter five says that we are salt and light. We are salt and light. And if you do an exegesis of that text, you'll, you'll, you'll find and discover that what that means is that we're called to influence culture mm-hmm. as believers. So forget about pastors, talk about the body of Christ. Uh, there are seven mountains that are at play in the culture. Government, education, entertainment, the church, uh, uh, and, and, and we go on and on. There's uh, another three, right? Mm-hmm. Um, seven mountains. You look it up. And either the church, the body of Christ, is going to control those mountains or the devil is going to control them. It's very yeah. simple. So as believers, we must be engaged in politics. Uh, you cannot separate your faith from your vote. You have to elect godly people over us. Uh, otherwise, why would we, uh, we were called to pray for the leaders over us, and we should do that irrespective. But it's much easier praying for someone who, who shares your values. So I'll stop there. Yeah. But, uh, but that's, the, that's the tutorial. Yeah, and what's crazy actually is that you uh, you had the opportunity. I think it was was it February twenty seventh. Yeah, that you uh, that you got to actually pray over Trump. And I'm not uh, only, you, I'm not, yep, go ahead. I was gonna say, and were you not attacked for praying for our president? I sure was. I not only prayed for him, but I laid hands on him. And, That's right. And the reality is. Uh, you know, when you, the Bible is very clear. When you stand for the things of Christ, you will be persecuted. So, so when you wake up in the morning and you get in your word, you should expect uh, in that day to be attacked. Uh, the devil's job is to kill, steal, and destroy the people of God. Mm-hmm. And what we see in the culture right now that doesn't make a lot of sense, it's because the devil is running absolutely rampant. And he's gone absolutely unchecked, unchecked by authority, unchecked. And if we don't st- stand up and stop this foolishness, this Marxist anarchist movement against our government, it will uh, uh, have an impact. I don't believe it will succeed, but it will do significant damage. Oh yeah, absolutely. And uh, you can you can just tell it's evident that the devil is running rampant, not only in. Uh, our government, but our society, you know, we're, we're allowing it to happen. Um, just like as, you know, you can see with uh, Chaz down in Seattle. Um, while I do understand, uh, I can see the perspective of people being frustrated and feeling persecuted. You know, I'm talking about the black community. Um, however, I, I feel like in so many ways, they've chosen the wrong way to, to deal with it, to fix the problem. Of course, uh, the, the Bible tells it, us to be angry and to sin not. Yep, absolutely, and uh, it's it's absolutely crazy what's going on. Uh, I did want to kind of ask and talk about. So, uh, as a member of the Black community, you're a, you're a strong voice in the Black community. Uh, what are your thoughts about what's going on? Uh, how do we, and I know this is a complicated question, but how can we begin to fix these problems in the right way and in the godly way? Yeah, sure. No, it's, it's not a complicated question at all. I've been talking about it uh, for weeks since it happened, and I've written, written several posts about it on Town Hall. Uh, and, and so we have to first 
separate this out, and, and this is what I told the vice president uh, personally. Um, we have to we have to look at all. Uh, uh, there's three categories of things happening. Uh, there there is a community uh, that is aggrieved, the black community that, uh, and and frankly, we were all mortified when we saw the murder of George Floyd. It wasn't mm-hmm. uh, special to the black community. It was a horrific scene. Uh, but you have a community that has a uh, justified response to police brutality, although only 13 people, 13 black unarmed men, were killed in 2019 by police. Uh, and uh, 88% of the black homicide victims in, ni- in 2019 were killed by other blacks. 88%. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, uh, 4% of violent crimes committed by police, of fatal shootings, 4% are, are, are black unarmed men. Okay? So, mm-hmm. that, but, so I'm, I say that to put it into perspective. <clears throat> mm-hmm. we're, 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 we're rioting, we're protesting because of a very small number. Now, one is too many. Absolutely. Uh, and, it ha- and it happens every year. There's some number that happens every year. So, so I'm not diminishing uh, the, the response and the, and the call for justice. Uh, it's appropriate. Uh, but it's not appropriate for the black community to care nothing for David Dorn, a uh, black police officer killed during the riots. It, it's not appropriate. For us to not care about the 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 fourteen year old uh, killed up in 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 Chop Chaz during this mm-hmm. foolishness, it's not appropriate for us to not care about the hundred plus people killed in Chicago over Father's Day weekend. See, when when you say Black Lives Matter, uh, but then you have no response for other Black lives not killed by law enforcement then your movement lacks credibility. So that's number one. We have a community that has, a, has an appropriate response, and we can come back to what that response is. Secondly, we have got a movement called Black Lives uh, Matter. It is a movement that was founded by three lesbian women whose mm-hmm. platform publicly is to defund the police to, to bring in socialism by fighting capitalism and ultimately to dismantle our system, our economy. And they are funded in part by George Soros, Ford Foundation, and Borealis Foundation. $100 million was given to a Black Lives Matter fund that I assume is simply a funding arm uh, for this it's not a nonprofit, by the way. It's a corporation. Black Lives Matter. Okay. Really? So, yeah. I it did is not a Mar- that. It is a Marxist organization, period. Anybody that wants to defund the police, uh, uh, which is an absurd thought, and to take police out of communities such as the black community, full of vulnerable people, whether they're the elderly, whether they're the homeless, whether they're the handicapped, you know, young girls, people being raped, people being stabbed and murdered and robbed, and your your platform is to take police out of our community. That 
It, oh, it, I know. Who can follow that? It It's like these people are brainwashed walking around. That's number two. Number three, and we'll, uh, then we can figure out where you want to go. Go ahead. Uh-huh. No, no, no. Go ahead. Number three is Antifa. Mm-hmm. Antifa's goal, and they're very violent, their goal is to bring fascism. They're not anti-fascism. They are a fascist organization. They want to take down the, our, our, our government. And, and we can't laugh at them because they're well-funded and they're very well-organized. This is a movement like you've never seen in our lifetime, and it reaches across the globe. When you've got people uh, protesting in, in London, We've got to pay attention to what's happening. This is not some some spark like you know we had in, in Los Angeles after Rodney King. This is a well-organized revolt. It is a revolution, and we have to pay attention to it. So I can I can talk more, but I'll take a breath now and and see where you want me to go with it. No, absolutely. It's it's funny because I feel like you opened up a big can of worms. There's a lot we can talk about with what you just said. Um, yeah, specifically, let's let's go back to defunding the police. So it's crazy to me. I understand one hundred percent why 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 we're frustrated with you know police, quote unquote. You know, yeah, um, because it was an unjustified murder. You know, yeah, and um, but my my thing is how is defunding the police going to fix your problem? Fix the problem that just happened. You know, if anything. There should be more funding so that these police can get more training, you know, so they can they can be more comfortable whenever a situation is becoming violent. They can better control themselves and they don't act out of emotion or out of fear, you know, and the only way that someone can be comfortable in a aggressive, violent situation is through training. That's why our you know, that's why the police do it. That's why our military go through months and months of training and. You know, and a lot of times police and, and sheriffs, uh, sheriff officers, um, they they are, you know, to an extent undertrained. You know, sometimes there's some uh, agencies where they'll only have, you know, maybe 10 hours of training, you know, a year, you know, to kind of recap, you know. And it's like it should not be that way at all. If anything, they should be, you know, at least once or twice a month. They're going through scenarios where, you know, maybe it's a domestic violence situation. Maybe this is a, a routine pullover and uh, a man is act, a man or a woman is acting aggressive. And so they should be trained more. And the only way to be trained more is by more funding, you know. Uh, and so to me, logically, it doesn't make any sense how defunding the police is going to fix a problem uh, where people uh you know, fix this problem. It doesn't make any sense to me. Well, and it doesn't make any sense to a thinking person. And then let me also add, <laughs> let me add um, what people don't want to say. Uh, these things have happened in Baltimore. They've happened in Ferguson. They've happened now uh, in Atlanta. And they've happened in Minneapolis uh, almost recently. And, and if you look at each of those cities, they're all run by black liberal Democrats. Mm-hmm. And so, and so, you know, we, we are now seeing uh, 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 graffiti on our statues, 
uh, talking about kill whitey, uh, all of this nonsense, because it is a movement. We have we got to keep our eye on the ball. We have to keep our eye on the ball because it doesn't make any sense. These cities are run by black liberal Democrats where these things are happening. And yet you want to blame systemic racism. You blame a black person blaming systemic racism on a system that he runs. How does that make sense? Mm -hmm. A black man's running a system that's systemically racist. Doesn't make sense, does it? Because it's not true. It's not systemically racist. What it is, is what you just said. There, there's incompetence, there's poor training, there's poor oversight, there's poor leadership. Just look at how these leaders are letting their own cities be overrun. That, it is, that is a direct example of the poor leadership that has us where we are in these various cities across the country, period. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And, um, you know, the problem with, with today is uh, a lot of people like to point the finger when it comes to a, when a problem arises. You know, it's their fault. It's not, there's nothing I can do. And, and you're, you're seeing on both sides, you're seeing, uh, sadly, we're becoming so divided. You're seeing white people say one thing and you're seeing the, or the white community say one thing, the black community say another. And what I really do believe is that it takes work on both sides. And uh, you're seeing a lot, uh, especially, you're just seeing a lot of, they need to do this, they need to do that, instead of, okay, this is how we can fix this. And then on the other side of the token, I believe this is how you could fix this, you know? Um, and it's, it's, it's a sad and it's shame, and it's, uh, it's, it's shameful that uh, we're becoming so divided. Um, well, my, my piece in Town Hall is called The Dilemma for the Black pastor and race racial reconciliation it touches on what you just said and i i i, I give a metaphor uh, of a marriage when you when you have a problem in your marriage i don't think you're married yet anthony but when you have a problem mm -hmm. in your marriage before you can have couples counseling you have to have individual counseling because you've mm -hmm. got to start you got to unpack your own stuff you got to figure out what you bring to the table that's toxic. What do you bring to the table that's healthy? Uh, what do you bring to the table? The black community, as many other communities, we have a great deal of trauma, whether it's domestic violence, whether it's alcohol abuse, whether it's sexual molestation, whether it's the impact of uh, experiencing racism on the job, whatever it is, uh, we have trauma that is undiagnosed seeing seeing a cousin shot in a drive-by shooting the kinds of things that happen in the uh inner city these things uh cause trauma number one number two we as a community need to uh be firm in our identity identity primarily in christ uh here here's how you know that there's a problem with identity if you need someone to apologize to you and renounce their race and they do it, something's wrong with them, by the way. Yeah. But something, yeah, is, really, something is really wrong with you because uh, an apology uh, uh, in, in, a, in a scriptural biblical sense, uh, so repentance and forgiveness, right? Um, uh, to say that uh, uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to turn away. I'm not going to do that again. 
That is for the person who is repenting. So, so we are helping white folks, if you will, uh, heal themselves. But after they apologize and walk away to the extent that an apology is necessary, which I don't believe it is, because the things that have happened in our uh, uh, a community uh, as, a, as a historical fact, nobody alive today had anything to do with it. Now, we have one-on-one uh, issues with one another. That's different. You deal with that individual to individual, but not corporately. You don't have a sea of white folks kneeling and apologizing and renouncing their race. That is idolatry. It's idolatry. Yeah, I was going to say, you brought up an interesting point, too. Uh, You talked about it almost seems like it's not logical and that people are brainwashed. And to me, I absolutely agree with that statement because, you know, obviously, you know, I'm a white man and you're a black man. And Mm -hmm. for me to we can embrace our differences, love each other, but just admit that we're different. You know, there's cultural differences and we. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. We are one race, one blood, different ethnicities, period. Yeah, one race. absolutely. The human Yeah, race. one race. Mm-hmm. And it is, absolutely. It is the division that is being, being allowed to take hold in this, in this country, uh, and by the way, it didn't start with President Trump, uh, uh, which people like to, no. like to assume. Uh, uh, it is, it is, it is uh, nothing but the uh, trick and tool of the enemy. And so many mm-hmm. are falling for it. Republicans, unfortunately, uh, are too afraid to be called racist to, to just speak the truth, which is what I told the vice president. We, you know, you can't have healing if you're not willing to tell people the truth. Uh, mm-hmm. And so we need to tell people the truth, and we and we need to uh, stop all of this white black nonsense. Uh, I have more in common with a lot of my white friends than I do people in my own black community. So you, know, mm-hmm. you, 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 you group in a way uh, where, where, where your values are shared one to the other. Uh, and then in the scripture, the answer to all of this, in, in addition to just making sure police are trained properly, that is chief, that is critical. But as a community, we have to do what Luke 10, 27 says. Uh, it is the greatest commandment. Uh, obviously, we know the per- first part of that is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Uh, But then here's the key. Love your neighbor as yourself. Mm -hmm. Are you practicing that? What does that look like every day? When you come home at the end of the day, how many people can you count on your hand that that you can say, I love them today with the love of Christ? That I I, I smiled at someone, or I, I, I shared a kind word, or I helped someone carry some groceries or something. What are we doing one to another? And that scripture has nothing to do with Greek or Jew. We know that he said we are all inherit. We are all heirs, all heirs. Mm-hmm. And talk about white, black, you know, it's, it's ridiculous what we're doing. But it's because we don't have a biblical worldview. We are in an in a, oh. in a age and a culture of moral relativism. Moral relativism. And, and that's what the crowd is doing. It's right to them. Mm-hmm. So there is no wrong. It's whatever I want to do. And there's no one to yeah. say, no, there is a standard. There's a standard. Yeah, it's it's scary times that we live in right now because to me, 
uh, it just seems like year by year, decade by decade, we're removing uh, love and we're removing Christ from society and from our government. And, and we're reaping what we're sowing right now. And things are becoming very hostile and divided. And it's because, like you said, we're allowing the enemy to take its foothold, his foothold. Yeah, that's right. And that's exactly right. It, it, it's definitely, it's, uh, it's, I don't know how, I don't understand how people don't see it. And it's scary to me. And that's why, you know, I, I want to bring up the, the brainwash thing before. And you're talking about how uh, George Soros as well, uh, that people are actively uh, trying to promote evil. And people are not realizing it. And it's sad because I feel like people are just, they're not opening up their eyes and they're just allowing society to make decisions for them and tell them how they should feel instead of for people to do their own research and to feel the way, you know, to think for themselves. Yeah. Well, there's not a lot of that going on. And that's the problem. People have to do their own research. Uh, Don't just look at my post, uh, but look at the, the citations or the quotes or the you know, pull it up for yourself. Read the article for yourself because that's how you you know, you begin to be a free thinker. Uh, you got to exercise that muscle of finding the news, not just receiving the news. Absolutely. Uh, and now more than ever, it seems like it's at least to me. Maybe I've become just more aware of it or more sensitive to it. Uh, but I feel like a lot of the news that we that we're receiving. I like that you use the word receiving. Uh, mm-hmm. It's almost same propaganda ish, you know. It seems well, like there's yeah. a goal, there's an intent behind the way they're presenting the news, and uh, and I wish people could could see that that people that there are higher powers that are trying to influence the way that we should think. Uh, I don't know, well, I, that's, that's the way I feel. Clear. How do you feel? No, that's very clear. That's very clear. If you look at. Um, uh, Unfortunately, CNN and MSNBC, uh, and you look at the history of them having to retract stories, uh, Donald Trump coined the phrase fake news. Uh, there's a great deal of that out there. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm not saying Fox is immune to it. I saw recently where they superimposed a uh, image of a guy with a gun at Chaz that actually wasn't there. Uh, they didn't need to do that. I'm not sure why they did that, but... Um, uh, they were telling a story that was true and it stood on its own. Uh, but my point mm-hmm. is, is that um, uh, there, there is a, uh, if you go back to the 60s, for the Democrat Party, the media and the KKK uh, were the, the triangle, the, the, uh, the stool, if you will, the three legs on the stool that controlled uh, the black vote. Uh, it either scared them uh, uh, from voting Republican or scared them away from voting at all. That's what uh, the KKK and the media were all about. Uh, the media was the propaganda arm and the KKK was the enforcement arm. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and it's no different today now that we have Antifa, uh, Black Lives Matter, both leading on the street like the KKK used to, uh, and the media uh, being the propagandist uh, for the Democrat Party. Uh, yeah, I, it doesn't take a lot. I mean, what I'm saying is not, is not hyperbolic. Uh, if you just look at the fact uh, that the Democrat Party uh, funded uh, the, uh, the dossier uh, that they used to 
uh, improperly surveil members of the Trump campaign. Uh, 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 the Democrat Party is has not changed uh, since uh, uh, since the sixties in the kind of behavior mm-hmm. uh, that they have engaged uh, to get their way ultimately to seize power. It's what it's all about. So uh, it's a, you, you really do have to pay attention. People are brainwashed. They're voting their grandmamas, their granddads' uh, party, and the Democrat Party is all about power. It's not about helping the black community. That's for sure. Obama did absolutely nothing for the black community. Uh, uh, they want to talk about the Affordable Care Act. And what it did was take uh, 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 hundreds and thousands of people who enjoy their private health care off of health care uh, uh, to, 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 to provide more coverage for other people. And then, and then it became unaffordable even for them. Uh, premiums mm-hmm. began to go up year over year. Uh, and they broke the system. And by the way, uh, part of the rules for radicals and how you control the population, one of the ways is healthcare. If you control everybody's healthcare, you can control them. So you gotta, you gotta look and understand the bigger picture of socialism. Obama and the Democrats of today, and now even Joe Biden is moving uh, uh, farther and farther left every day he comes out of his basement. Uh, they are socialists. And, and we've got a socialist movement happening and we're like frogs boiling in a pot. We don't seem to we don't seem to understand that we're yep. being cooked. We're being cooked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, uh, speaking of that, you know, uh, you know, I'll, I'll say this too. As a, a white male, I actually lived in Arkansas for uh, ten years. Oh my and, goodness. Um, yeah, and uh, you know I'm in Phoenix now, um, but I actually, you know, and I'm not saying that you know racism is just in the South, but I have definitely heard and I have seen uh, racism against the Black community. Of course, you know, of course, personally. it exists. And yeah, I was gonna say so. It absolutely exists, and it's a problem that absolutely needs to be solved. Um, so I wanted to kind but, of play but, a little but, bit but, of. The, but Anthony, go ahead. Racism is a sin issue. Racism is a condition of the heart, mm-hmm. period. Only God can change a heart. Mm-hmm. I can be kind to I... you if you were racist. I could be kind to you, and you can still hate me because of how I look. Something has to happen between you and God for you to see me differently. It's mm-hmm. sin. You have to repent of sin, and then you can have a heart change. Oh yeah, absolutely, and um, I, I and that's the thing is that, like you said, it's a heart issue. So when we when you talk about it, you're talking about on an individual level, we have to fix it. So that yeah. means you know yourself, and then within the family unit, you know that's, right. that's something that we need to identify, we need to talk about, and we need to fix. And it's sad that people are instead of taking the responsibility off themselves. They're trying to put the responsibility into the government's hands to fix these problems. And I don't know if you've seen. Yeah, it doesn't work. And it's obvious because, uh, like you said, the the black the black vote has predominantly been uh, with the Democratic Party since, you know, since the 60s. And mm-hmm. if the black community is unhappy with where they're at right now you know, and how they, they feel they're being treated and, and everything like that, then then why are you so sold to mm-hmm. the Democratic Party when now it's been, what, 80 years? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you're, you know, and you and you feel like 
you feel like it's the opposing party that's messing things up, but it's like, no, think for yourself. Stop voting like what you said, your grandmother's vote. St- mm. Start thinking for yourself and start, and also start putting some responsibility on yourself mm-hmm. in your home and with yourself. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, that's exactly, that's it's, exactly right. Now, let me, let me also say there, there are industries, there are uh, cases like the criminal justice system, uh, and we've done a lot to fix it, but there are uh, uh, sectors in the system that are biased. And, and, and I, I, don't, I don't know that I call them racist, but uh, they certainly uh, are biased. As one example, as one example, in the healthcare industry, uh, I'm, I, I used to sit on a board of a hospital and I didn't see this, but I have heard that patients are graded one through three, uh, one being the lowest of care and service, three being the highest. Guess who was out of one? Guess who was out of one? Blacks. Uh, in the in the in the uh, uh, dialysis industry, uh, I, I I did a lot of work in trying to acquire dialysis centers, and I learned a lot from leading nephrologists that black people uh, they 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 were lo- widely believed to have unsanitary home conditions, so they were made to have dialysis in the clinic, while white patients. Uh, were allowed to have and to do it themselves at home in the comforter. Much cheaper, much cheaper. So, mm-hmm. so, so there are some cultural sensitivities. I, I, I think that that's racist. Some people might just think Absolutely. it's uh, culturally insensitive. Uh, but, but there, I don't, I don't want to suggest that uh, you know racism is not just one on one. There are uh, parts of our our society. Uh, that view blacks and Hispanics a certain way and they respond accordingly. And that is racism. And where that exists, the people who are in those systems where they are black Hispanics, they need to bring about change within their own systems. Someone like me who would not have known that, uh, but for being a part of uh, trying to buy dialysis centers, I would never have known that. So who knows that? Have you ever heard that before? Probably not. So people within those systems do need to bring about change where needed. Absolutely. You, you actually bring up a good point that I wanted to talk about today. And it's, uh, it's speaking about white privilege. That's a very hot term right now. You know, And like you said, with these, uh, these dialysis centers or how they assign for a person to be either get home care or having to go into a clinic, um, as a white male, or how about this? As a white community, I feel like a lot of white people, I don't, I don't know how much, I don't have percentages or anything, do feel that there, there is no such thing as white privilege. Mm-hmm. And I, I consider myself kind of a moderate. You know, maybe I lean a little bit more to the right. Uh, but as I said, I, I lived in Arkansas for 10 years, and I did see that there are definitely, I, I can be treated differently simply because I am white and, and you could even go even further because I'm a white male, you know? And, uh, so I, I, I don't, uh, there's a lot of things that are, it's a very charged term, white privilege. Um, but at the same time, I do see that it, it does exist to an extent. I really do. And, uh, I was actually talking with one of my good friends, her name's Kaya. Uh, we grew up going to church together and, uh, she, she's African-American and uh, and we talked about that, you know, 
if there, if there is, you know, this quote unquote white privilege, then if anything, the white community can also use that to help out the black community, you know, to stand up and say, you know, this is not right. We need to make changes. And that, and that's what I was kind of even referring to earlier when I said, you know, the, there's certain things like you talk about black on black crime that the black community really need to work on and not just brush under the rug. And there are certain big topics that are uncomfortable that the white community, uh, you know, have, but they need to also fix as well. And uh, I did not know that about dialysis centers, uh, but I, c- I could see that happening. I really can. So let's talk about white privilege. Yeah, because I wanted to get your opinion on it. Mm-hmm. So number one, I don't like the term. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two, it assumes superiority that mm-hmm. I don't I don't accept. Mm-hmm. Number th- number three. Um, here's the real answer. Um, it, 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 there's no secret that there's a wealth gap in this country. Um, there's no secret that, um, you know, the average white home, I think is at 111,000 in, uh, in, in assets and in, in African-American, it's like 1100. I mean, it's some ridiculous, uh, uh, uh number. It's either 1100 or 11,000. Uh, and and so so the disparities and the wealth gap, we can't ignore those things. Um, but I, I'm 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 hesitant to to blame it on white privilege. Um, you know there are communities, the Asian community, the Hispanic community, they know how to get themselves together, build businesses, uh, save for school and college. Uh, and and make it in this country. Uh, if African Americans decide that they want to sit at home and let Uncle Sam uh, take care of the family, the father's got no responsibility. Seventy three percent of our homes don't have black fathers in them, uh, uh, which obviously means seventy three percent of our homes are led by single black women. Uh, I, I started schools. I know that uh, uh, we have a, uh, we require our students to wear uniforms. Uh, it's a very rigorous curriculum. And black mothers came to our orientation and said that this is too hard for my son or daughter. And they didn't come. Our population across all three schools is roughly 77% Latino. Mm-hmm. So blacks have to have a, uh, a education ethic there are a lot of things that we need to be doing um, for ourselves. Frederick Douglass said uh, to the government, just get out of the way of the Negro and let us get it ourselves. Uh, and, 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 and if you get out of our way, which the government is not out of our way, um, but if you get out of our way and we don't get it and you make sure you don't have any roadblocks to us getting it, which is the real issue, do we have access to capital? Are our communities redlined so that uh, we, we're not getting loans at favorable rates to build businesses? Uh, uh, is education unaffordable? Can we go get a trade uh, in, 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 in an affordable way? Not everybody needs to be going to liberal arts colleges where they can't get a job when they graduate anyway. They've got to go on and get a mm-hmm. master's or a law degree or, or an MD. You know, liberal arts mm-hmm. is not for everybody. 
So, so I'm sorry, but it's a matter of perspective. Mm-hmm. I, I, I belong to a club in Beverly Hills. I smoke cigars that I enjoy. I, 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 I enjoy fine tequila. Yes, I'm a pastor. The board says, mm-hmm. don't be drunk. It doesn't say you can't drink. So, so I'm just saying someone can look at me, Anthony, and, 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 and they can be white and not have the same inroads and connections and, and, and world travel experience that I have. It's perspective. Now, yes, uh, if you look at the, the, the white community across the globe and, and you look at the Jews, uh, you know, you, you, can, you can look and say, even in Africa, as wealthy a country as it is, uh, it is impoverished with the wealth being held by by just a few, right? So there there, there, there are some interesting challenges in, in the black community, but I, I dare say that it is the fault of the white community. If you if you if you get an education, if you don't get pregnant before you get married, you get married, you have kids and you work a job and you work it consistently, you can succeed in America. I don't care as a black man, if I'm going to my job engagement or whatever it is, and a white guy drives by me in a Rolls Royce. Yeah. That suggests that he has privilege. But guess what? I am succeeding in America and if that's my goal, to drive a Rolls Royce, then I simply need to work hard to, to achieve that goal. Uh, he, in, in a lot of cases, you know, I'm sorry for, to be long-winded, but I just need to say one more thing. You know, mm-hmm. legacy is an important thing. Some communities understand legacy and inheritance. Mm-hmm. So some of what we're seeing today is the inheritance of people who worked really hard in the prior generation. Black folks aren't, the word says in Deuteronomy, I believe it's Deuteronomy, a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. We have a responsibility to our next generation. What are we doing? We can't just sit around and blame white folks because we're not, we're not storing up an inheritance. We, we, we have to make sure we're dismantling hurdles and we have to work hard. Now, I'm talking to you as a black man. I know that there are things that we are simply not doing as a community. We don't support each other's businesses. We don't save. We are the one among the biggest spend consumer, uh, consumer. Uh, uh, what am I trying to say? We, we are among the. We are the community that spends the most on consumer goods. Mm-hmm. I see what you're saying. You see no, where I'm going? Uh, I absolutely do. Uh, and I, I do think one of the biggest, one of the, at least one of the biggest problems and why that is, is uh, I believe it's because of you brought up socialism and, and how people have just become dependent on the government. And whenever you have a sense of dependency, then you're not taking responsibility. You know, you're not you're not personally, you know, putting in the extra hours of work because you're having something for free handed to you. Mm-hmm. And unfor- 
And unfortunately, uh, that's what I feel like a lot of people are calling for right now. I think it was uh, uh, Robert Johnson. He's the BET founder. Uh, he was calling for, I think it was like $14 trillion paid in reparations uh, for the descendants of slaves, right? And and to me, I the way I see it is I understand that slavery, slavery is a horrible, evil, evil thing. And, but what I think it did is it created a sense of dependency, you know? And then what, what socialism did was that it it created even more and more dependency, you know, or government funding, you know, and you know, if you use government funding for a short period of time, then it can help you, you know, get out of a hole. But when you live a lifetime of it from generation to generation, that in itself, I feel like become, can become slavery. Well, and you, we don't have socialism yet, but the concept of being of dependency certainly does exist here. And it even exists mm-hmm. uh, within the context of Medicare. Uh, but, but you're, you're absolutely right about that. It is a, it is a, it's the new plantation uh, for uh, not, not just blacks, not just blacks on welfare, obviously, but it is certainly no. um, a dependency creates more dependency and it becomes generational because now you don't have a model of work. You don't have a model of what it looks like uh, to accomplish a goal of retiring uh, and passing on a legacy to the next generation. You can't be mad at a community because they know how to do it. You can't be mad mm-hmm. at white folks because they've been taught uh, how to save and how to invest. You can't be mad at them. And that is in part what I said in my piece, the dilemma for the black pastor and race, racial reconciliation. You got to do some work yourself before you start pointing the finger at somebody else. I'm not mm-hmm. saying that, they're, 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 that a finger can't be pointed. We talked about the dialysis industry. I'm not saying a finger can't be pointed. I want your listeners to be clear because I can hear some people say, this guy doesn't get it. No, I'm saying that there are some steps to take first in our own community before we start making white people bow down and apologize. No, it's not both and. No, I hear somebody say, why can't we have both at the same time? No, you, you, you've got to fix your own stuff so that when you stand and receive an apology, you are whole and you can receive it. And by the way, And then you can forgive, which is what the Bible talks about. Forgiveness is for the forgiver. So if you stand in that encounter with your your brother, white or or Hispanic or Asian, and you're standing as a black person receiving an apology, you should be whole and healthy enough in that moment to be able to then forgive. Now, if you haven't done any work, you may not be able to, to respond to that apology in the right way. That's all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. No, I, uh, I, I absolutely agree. You know, and, and speaking of all this, you know, uh, you know, just a couple dudes, we're, we're, we're three white guys, you know, and, and so, but we were personally, we, we fell for the black community, obviously, because, uh, that, there are some injustices and there are some ways, like you said, that the black community needs to help themselves. You know, um, what are some ways you talked about, you know, the white community knows how to save and, and do all this. And so you, you challenge you, it sounded like you kind of challenged, you know, the black community, like, you know, you learn that you take on those practices mm-hmm. and, 
you know, and with that being said, you know, I almost want to challenge the white community, you know, instead of sitting there and bowing down, taking a knee and apologizing for your race, actually put some effort into something and, you know, go out in the community and help teach people, you know, there's centers everywhere in every single city, you know, to, to help people that are, that want help, you know, so actually take the time to do that. And, uh, you know, uh, and, and that's part of the reason we're, we are speaking on these topics is because we, there's not a lot, well, there is a lot we can do, uh, but this is one of the ways we want to help out, uh, the black community is, is to, to spread perspectives because obviously you're a very successful black man and you, uh, you could be a role, you could, and you should be a role model to many people. Um, and so we're trying to get your voice out there. Uh, is there any other suggestions, I guess, uh, that we, that we could do to kind of play our part in, in what's well, going on right now? Well, I, I tell you, uh, we could spend another hour on, on that uh, alone um, because, mm-hmm. because you know, white and black folks canvass the, the entire society and, and where we find each other. Um, and I'm talking to black people and to white people because I promise you, uh, black folks are absolutely bigoted against white people. Uh, mm-hmm. on, Sunday, on a Sunday morning, if a white person visits a black church, you want to talk about uh, 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 looks uh, that could kill. So, 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 so the idea that white folks are the are the ones with a racist problem is just just simply not true. I, I I've seen statistics that suggest that black folks are the most racist ethnicity in our nation. So, so that that really makes this very ironic, by the way. So, um, but, but to your question, uh, if, if I had to answer it, and, 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 and I've already talked about what black folks can do for themselves, uh, I, I, can, I can make some broader suggestions for the society. Um, and, and, and I start with Luke 10 and 27. If you're a believer, you need to practice just loving your neighbor and not being afraid of, of God's creation. Uh, we are one race, one blood, and we need to get to know one another. And I, 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 I hesitate to say, I, I hesitate to say that that's likely not going to happen. We've been journeying in this nation for a very long time together, and uh, and we simply haven't uh, gotten to know one another after all these years. So I, I, I don't know if that's realistic, but that's the gospel, and so I need to say it. Uh, we need to love one another. We need to get to know one another. That's Number one. Number two, um, in, in, in the workplace, I, I think it plays itself out. Because we don't know each other, we isolate uh, each other. Yep. So, so in the workplace, you know, the white folks congregate with the white folks. The black folks, you know, however many there might be, go to lunch together. Uh, and it happens in school, you know, in, in, the, in the cafeteria where we are segregated. Um, uh, and so, and so, you know, I, I don't know if there's a role for school districts to play or for employers to play. I'd like to think that we could do that in, within humanity without being forced to sort of get to know one another. Um, but I think that's a big part because because we don't know each other, we allow the stereotypes to exist in our minds. Some black folk would be shocked to hear that there's some white folks doing worse than they are financially and otherwise. Mm-hmm. White, white folks are on drugs. 
White folks are on welfare. Yeah, white folks are being kicked out of their house. White kids are being trafficked in human sex trafficking. You know, I, we don't know each other because we're in our own backyards and we don't uh, we don't get to know one another. So so that's that's number two. Number three uh, is is the economy uh, and building businesses together uh, and and building our communities together, like with the opportunity zones that the president uh, has just done under, under the uh, Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, the opportunity zones that are built to uh, build up inner cities. It's a perfect opportunity uh, for uh, wealthy investors of any color uh, to come into the black community and partner and create businesses together. There's a perfect vehicle in place right now um, that will build wealth and build community. And so it, it's those kinds of things that I think uh, we should be doing as a community, uh, creating private equity funds uh, and partnering with people that you normally would not partner with. Um, you know, that, that's just the truth. Uh, people, people like to watch black folk play sports but they don't like to go get them as a, as a private equity partner uh, to, to build shopping malls, as an example. Uh-huh. We have to do that on our own. We have to go build our own development companies because uh, you know these, these very wealthy uh, builders, developers, equity hedge fund managers, they're not seeking us out. And in part, uh, you know, I can't blame them for that, but, but in part, because we're not getting that kind of education. We're not we're not coming up through the financial services industry. Uh-huh. We're, we're not coming up through uh, the accounting firms. And these are the people that are running these very large, you know, financial, financially driven uh, companies. So, you know, there's two sides of the story, but I'm just saying as a, a big picture, uh, we just need to find ways to work together. That's all I'm saying. No, absolutely. And I think it, it starts, uh, as we've talked about, uh, at an individual level. And like you said, at the workplace and in school, we do, we do isolate ourselves. And, and I think people rely on the government or, you know, that we're, yeah, that's really what it is. They rely on the government for us not to become, you know, they, these differences, but really it's, it's, it's up to you, you know, it's up to you to go and, and talk with, someone who doesn't look like you and then you'll realize you're really not that different Mm -hmm. you know you're Mm -hmm. really really not that different and when you realize that you're not different then you're willing to work with one another then you all of a sudden you're willing to become partners but it really i really want to challenge uh america today to take this on a personal individual level and instead of just saying oh well the police need to do this uh the president needs to do that and and look in the mirror and say no, I need to. I need to put a little effort into this, and mm-hmm. I, I think that's where that's where we're going to have a systemic change. Yeah. Uh, it's when you know when everyone decides, you know, we're not going to take this anymore, and we're we're going to decide to be different. And um, it right. looks like we're having a lot of having a lot of questions here, and because they're really? talking about just yeah, yeah, we have we have some questions. Have you? Can you see on the? Uh, on the app, the people uh, asking questions. Let's see. Let's see. Yeah. He's a, yeah. okay. So th- this is a good question. Uh, maybe maybe you can uh, answer this mm-hmm. one. It says, uh, mm-hmm. "How do we make subcultures communicate, and what tools can we use?" Mm-hmm. Is there a, 
And if you don't know the answer, that's okay, because that is well, a hard question. Well, well, let, let me first say to Eric Alonzo, thank you uh, for uh, your uh, comment about uh, children being trafficked. I do a lot of work in that area, and the largest uh, place for children to be trafficked is in Southern California uh, uh, over the Mexican border. And, uh, and then secondly, most of the children... Uh, if they're not coming from out of the country or sex trafficked out of the uh, foster care system. And so thank you for your awareness of that, Eric. Uh, it is a huge issue. And by the way, under uh, President Trump, uh, there have been quite a few arrests made uh, uh, to dismantle uh, uh, human sex trafficking in general, but children in specific. So thank you for that. Now on to the question about how do we do this in subcultures. Uh, I'm trying to find the person that said that. Is that Shakur? Yes. I don't, I don't see that. I think they're talking about that. Uh, let's see. It's right after. Okay, to make subcultures communicate. Uh, Shakur, thank you, uh, man. I, I think I think it's a male. Thank you so much for uh, the question. And it and it, it I, I, I you have to not forgive me, but at least appreciate my perspective, which is a biblical world, a biblical worldview. And, and, and so everything that I say comes from that. I don't intend to uh, sound uh, exclusionary for those who may not be Christian. Uh, so just appreciate my perspective. And there's so many principles uh, uh, that are shared religion to religion uh, that, that whatever, uh, your, your, uh, uh, whatever the case may be for you, I think that the principle still applies, and I've said it several times already. It's really it has very little to do with subcultures, uh, uh, and so when you when I hear you say subculture, uh, I, I hear you say there's the dominant culture, which is the white culture, and then there is everyone else. I I, I want I want you to to hear my heart, um, because there are systems that divide us. Uh, uh, by economics, uh, you might have heard of uh, of the of the phrase "black liberation theology." Black liberation theology is 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 sort of what undergirds uh, the Black Lives Matter movement. They just don't say it. Black liberation theology came out of Central America, uh, and you can just look it up. It, it was it was not called Black liberation theology. It was called liberation theology. And and the and the and the premise of it was for the uh, what, what we call the marginalized. They called it the marginalized. In order for the marginalized to uh, gain equality in the culture, they had to take down the power structure held by the dominant culture. Okay, so so that's liberation theology that says the dominant culture has to be taken down by the marginalized or the subculture, if you will. So I want you to be careful about, you know, how you're thinking about uh, how we communicate, what tools do we use, um, because there is, a, there is a lexicon, if you will, there is a language relating to um, how to tear down structures and how these subcultures, in order to be equality, have to be the ones to tear it down. So, so I don't subscribe to uh, liberation theology. 
I don't subscribe to black liberation theology, uh, uh, mostly because it has nothing to do with God. It is a godless movement. It is a, a Marxist movement. Okay, so you just Google some of that stuff. It'll take you right down a great rabbit hole, and you'll enjoy, and you'll enjoy <laughs> um, that education. Um, but th the tools one to another, man, is is what you're experiencing right now. It's Anthony as a white guy, me as a black guy, asking one another tough questions. He's asking the questions today, um, and, and 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 journeying and experiencing life together. We have to be intentional, one to another, to 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 experience life together. So, in other words, uh, instead of just sitting down having lunch and having your Cheetos and your and your and your Pepsi and talking about class. Ask your brother about his dad. Is, is your dad at home? Tell me, how, how is that? What do you guys do together? Uh, do you have any sisters? Uh, how, do you, how do you protect them? What kind of conversations do you have with your sister? Um, because, you know, men are made to protect. Uh, so how does that play out in your family dynamic? I want to I compare it to mine, because here's how I do with my sisters journey together, ask each other questions, talk about your health. I had a mentee who I used to break bread with once a month. Uh, and we would talk about business. He wanted to be my mentee because he wanted business guidance. And after about a year and a half of relationship, I got a phone call, got a phone call from his mother at 630 in the morning to tell me that he had died. <sighs> He had died. And I, I, after I wept, I said, what do you mean he died? What do you mean he died? He had high blood pressure, hypertension, and he stopped taking his pills. Here's my point. Here's my point. Shakur, here's my point. I never asked him about his health. And, and that relationship. Now, in every relationship I have that, that is intimate, man to man, I make sure I ask them about their health. And so are, are, we, are we sharing? Are we, going, are we just having polite conversation with each, each other? Or are we, are we vulnerable? Are we, are we sharing? Uh, intimate, intimacy, intimacy. It means into me, see. See, see into me, see into me. Intimacy. Are we being intimate with one another in, in our language and in our sharing? Uh, that's the answer. That's how we tear down these walls of division. Because guess what? If you are close with a brother of another uh, a hue, if you're close as a white man to a black man or to a Hispanic man, and somebody in your circle tells you that blacks and Hispanics are X, Y, and Z, You'll be able to say to them out of your experience that you are a mm -hmm. liar. You are a liar. That is not who they are. That is not who my friend is. And then we begin to stand up for each other. And we Absolutely. begin to link arms with each other. That's how you mend this. Now, I'm not, I'm not diminishing the structures in criminal justice. I'm not diminishing... Uh, the disparate treatment in the medical field, etc. But if we are linking arms individually, 
that then spreads into those industries very simply. And then those industries begin to take change. It's it, the Bible calls it uh, the inner man, right? Taking uh, taking off the outer man and putting on the inner man, a new heart. But we do it one to another. I know it sounds simple, but it, it, it that's that's what it is. I see. I see the board moving. So I don't know if you've been you've been watching it. <laughs> Yeah, I've been, uh, I, I've been, yeah, I've been reading the questions for sure. And he says, I think this you're does definitely not addressing the question. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, he, yeah, uh, Eric kind of followed up. He's kind of asking for Shakir, uh, what is the government's uh, role in this then? Brother? Yeah, he's, he's asking. I, I see, yeah, yeah, I see it. I see it. And there's the fallacy, man. There's the fallacy. Uh, the role of government is not to make your community. Government has become too big as it is, right? Government is controlling our school districts. Government is controlling uh, 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 whether we get married or not because they're not incentivizing husbands to stay in their homes because they're taking care of the, of the mother and the children. Government is not the answer. Now, that's federal government. Now. We can talk all levels of government. You can talk local government, right? Which is where the action is, right? Uh, but here's the answer. Do you have a relationship with your elected officials? Are you, are you active? Are you, do you know them? Do they know you? Uh, I, I can say yes for me, and they're all Democrats, by the way, and I'm a Republican. Why? Because I understand that I have to have relationships with the policymakers. But that's policy. That's policy. That is not, they're not going to get in a room and say, okay, now this table full of white people integrate with this table with black people. No, we have to build leaders in our communities, Shakur. We have to build leaders in our, in our communities that, that, you know, leadership is a quality. You either have it or you don't. Somebody has to stand up and look at these people and look at their hearts and be a pastor in that community. And I'm not talking about from a biblical standpoint. I'm talking about leading people. Someone has to stand up and say, you know, this picture it doesn't look right. And just get your butt up and you go sit over there and make them uncomfortable. And then when it's over with, you'll have some friends. You may not, you may not win them all. Yeah, it's awkward, man. Why is it awkward? Because we have been segregated uh, personally uh, for as long as we can remember. Just because we had desegregation doesn't mean that, that it, it ended there. Brown v. Board of Education, 1954. They put us in schools. Guess what happened? Whites left those schools. It's called white flight. So just because we had desegregation doesn't mean that it worked. So yeah, man, I, I appreciate what you're saying, that it is awkward. But if you're not the leader, maybe someone, maybe one of your friends is the leader. But somebody has to take the first step toward the other man or woman. It's not going to happen if we keep standing in the corner. It's like going to a, to a party. It's like going, going, to a, going to a house party. Everybody always starts off by standing in a corner somewhere. Mm -hmm. We're standing and we're looking. We're watching the girls come in, right? And we're standing. We got our friend or whatever it is. But we're posted up in a corner. Tell me if I'm wrong, Anthony. Tell me if I'm wrong. 
Uh, absolutely. Yeah. When we go when we go out, we're standing around surveying the room, surveying the landscape, right? And then and then something rises up, something swells up within us. If the the hour is getting late, well, we 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 ain't gonna be able to be here till two a.m. So if we're gonna start, have a good time, somebody's got to get the party started. Uh huh. Got to get the party started. That's right. oh. Somebody's got to get the party yeah. started. So it's the same thing, Shakur. Somebody's got to get the party started, man. It's awkward. The tool is your mouth and your feet. That's the tool. The tool is Ooh, your mouth. I like that. And your feet. I, man, I like that. You know, it's, and this is what you said is true in just about every single area of your life is uh, when people get comfortable, they don't make change. You know, you got to get you got to be comfortable with being uncomfortable and doing the things that you may not want to do. You know, you mm -hmm. may feel a little scared to get the party started, as you said, but yeah. you need as an in, all of us, especially men. You know, we are called to make waves and to make change. And that in itself is uncomfortable. But you yeah. know what? I, I, if I want to challenge uh, men, it's get get comfortable with being uncomfortable, you know, yeah. doing what everyone else is not doing. Uh, yeah. I, you know, we've been talking I, 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 for a little. We have. Go ahead. Let me just let me just add this one thing. You know, we, we've got to wrap up. But but I'm, I'm looking at some of Shakur's remarks and Shakur. You're you're right about American culture. I'm, I'm, I, I talked about it in a in a, um, a macro in a liberation theology context. But yes, American culture is the dominant culture uh, in the context of liberation theology, which is what is happening with BLM. Uh, the dominant culture uh, would be considered the white culture. Okay, so I just wanted to give that clarity, uh, and and I'm just loving the comments, and I'm so glad that you called my attention to it. Um, it is not easy, but I, I really just have to make clear that this is, these are heart issues. The government can't change your heart, man. You, you can't be relying on the government uh, to do something because once they put you together, I do it all the time. I see it all the time. It's mostly in church context, uh, rarely in government. But you can put people in a room and have a great experience. And then when they leave the room, uh, their hearts aren't changed necessarily, and they and they don't necessarily become friends. Uh, but uh, the government bringing people together is not the answer. The answer is is a heart change in community, doing community together. I promise you, uh, it's awkward and it's hard, but that is the answer. Go ahead, Anthony. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Uh, you know, like you said, we've been talking for a little bit over an hour, so kind of want to bring this to an end. Uh, there was one question I really did want to ask you because you, you talked about it at the beginning as well. Um, you talked about how uh, the, the the media has a role in how things are moving today. You know, and 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 how the media is almost today pushing for more, even in a way, even more segregation. Or differences. Yeah, that's really. I'll say that they're mm -hmm. they're really trying to push the differences, and they're really trying to push fear and and anxiety. And you can see it, and you can feel it, even while you're driving on the highway. Mm -hmm. That people are are anxious and they're and they're scared. You know. Mm -hmm. And my question is, what do you think the 
the intent of the media is right now. Yeah. If you, if happy. you, oh, I do. I have an answer. Uh, before I answer, yeah. I want to say this. I want to say to Shakur, because he asked the question, "How do you get the tongue in the feet?" And the answer to that question is find an older mentor. Find an older mentor who can guide you in how to be a leader and, and give you some historical context and even give you some confidence. Uh, men, particularly black men, need role models. We need role models because most of us have been raised, myself included, uh, have been raised without male role models in the home. Okay, so there's, there's that. To answer your question about the media, every two years, and particularly every four years, the media does what we're seeing right now because they're trying to make sure that the black vote, which elects the president, for the most part, is shored up. Donald Trump got 8% four years ago. He's on track to get more than 15%. They are absolutely panicking. If the, if the Republican Party starts getting 15% of the black vote, and Rasmussen report says that 40% of likely black voters are leaning toward voting Republican. If, if even 50% of that happens, the Democrat Party will become extinct. And so we have, we have a messaging. I talked about uh, the, the media being in partnership with the Democrat Party and the KKK. Uh, during Jim Crow, uh, we are seeing the media with a full-on assault uh, against Donald Trump every day. Uh, and by the way, I am a conservative Christian before I'm anything else. I happen to support the president, uh, but please know that that is secondary to my values. I'm not a Trump supporter just for the sake of being a Trump supporter. I'm a Trump supporter because his policies align with my values and, and the views that I, that I support. So I want to be clear about that. But every four years, very simply, and they're, and they're doing it again, and you just have to make sure that you are uh, looking uh, uh, at all media to make sure that uh, you're getting the, the right story, okay? I've got a, I've got a call coming uh, in two minutes, Anthony, so we're going to have to wrap. So, yep. So no, yeah, I was just about to... Remarks. Yep, I was just about to say uh, we talked about a lot of hard topics, you know, and uh, and uh, I'm glad that we were able to have this conversation, Mark. I really do appreciate your time. This has been great. It's been great to see uh, your listeners uh, ask questions. I appreciate it, and uh, let's do it again soon. Sounds good, man. You have a good day. All right, bye bye.